praise the Lord. Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, picking up in verse 46, we're looking at these divine encounters this week, and so uh, this one is a very powerful one, very familiar one too. Mark chapter 10, picking up in verse 46, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Several years ago, I was serving at a church in Nashville that had an opportunity to plant. And one of our elders would teach a Bible study, actually, in one of the, um, this rough area of Nashville. There was a recovery center for guys who had blown it in life, but they had another chance at it. This ministry would come in, and so this elder at our church, he would teach a Bible study. But every every few months, they would do in that community a community cookout, a community gathering of some sort. So they would invite the kids out, and there would be some kind of a worship service, and then some food and fellowship and all the above. And so we would come and pass out flyers in the actual community, and we're just having a good time, inviting people to come on out to the service. It's going to be a great time. And it was great. Everybody took the flyer, smiled, and we went on to the next house, to the next house, to the next house. But then we came up to a group of kids. And one of the guys in our group, he gave one of the kids a flyer and invited them to the church just down the road. And the kid was excited, free food, hallelujah. I don't know anybody that will turn down some free food, right? And this kid was excited, but then he made a comment. He, he said something that, that still impacts me to this day. Really quick, he said, are y'all going to be here again? Southern, are y'all coming back? It hit me because I'm thinking like, you know what? He said a lot without saying a lot. Do you really care? Or are we just a project? I mean, I, I, I see you guys come here, you know, every few months passing off flyers, but I don't, I don't see you in between that. Do you really care? It's a question for all of us. Do we really care about people? Or do we look at people as projects, as stepping stones to, to achieve what I want to achieve in my life? But do we really care? Are y'all going to be here next week? Do we really care? You know, every great story, whether it's a movie, whether it's a television show, or whether it's a great novel, a great book, my pastor in Chicago uh, taught me this. He said every great story has at least four main movements. Typically, you'll see this in just about every story that you encounter. Every great story, you'll see this in the Bible especially, has at least four movements. You have the situation, you have the complication, you have the resolution, and you have the celebration. Every great story has at least these four moves. Situation, complication, resolution, celebration. Right smack dab, jumping into this story, we are introduced to a situation. The Bible says, and they came to Jericho. Now, if you do your research, at this particular life and time of Jesus, uh, scholars agree that Jesus is on his way, just like everybody and their mother, to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, which means that the city would swell with so many people. And so 
All the roads are jam-packed. Talk about a traffic jam. No GPS needed. <laughs> Everybody's migrating, making their way, and this is a prime time place for a lot of vendors and people to set up shop, you know, for various things, and for this case, for beggars. We're introduced to a man, blind Bartimaeus is what I call him, but the Bible says that he is not only blind, but he's a blind beggar. We don't know if he was born blind or if he became blind over time. The Bible doesn't say, let's not exceed what is written. The brother is just handicapped. He is blind. He cannot see. But he's also a beggar, which means that this is his occupation. This is what he does for a living. Kind of like the lame man a few days ago, sitting by the, by the gate. This is what he does to put food on his table. He needs help. He's a blind beggar. And I want you to get this scene. The brother is begging for change, begging for some help. And all in all, people are simply passing him by. Kind of reminds me as I was at a, serving at a church on the south side of Chicago on the corner of 95th and Western. There's a currency exchange, and I used to see this, this homeless guy there, there all the time. He was blind, actually. He would stand there on the corner, winter, winter, Chicago winters, by the way. Winter, spring, summer, and fall, this dude will be consistently out there on the corner with his bucket, with his rod, and he's asking for change. I saw people abuse this guy, knock him aside his head, steal his money, kick over his bucket. People just took advantage of this guy, but yet all in all, every single day, this guy was out there begging for help. And all in all, people simply passed him by. Let me ask you a question. Who do we pass by on a day-to-day -day basis? Who are the blind Bartimaeuses in our sphere of influence? Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're in your community. Maybe they're in your church. Maybe they're on your job. The truth of the matter is we all have people that are Bartimaeuses. In fact, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you So the situation is now set for us. This man is a beggar. He's sitting along the roadside, and most of the people just simply passing him by. Sure, there might be a few good Samaritans dropping in some change in a bucket, but people are just passing him by. But now we are introduced to a, the complication of the passage. Because the Bible says, and when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, look at this line, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is profound to me because this brother has good theology. Maybe he heard uh, somebody talk about this Messiah from a local friend. Maybe he was in the crowd at one of his sermons. Maybe he had heard. But this guy has good theology because he calls him Jesus, son of David. As if to say, I know who you are. Oh, I've been familiar with the Old Testament teachings. I, I've been to my little Bible study because I know who you are. You're the one that could save me. You're the one that can help me. You are Jesus Christ, son of David. But here's where it gets difficult. The Bible says, and many rebuked him. What? What? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold your book. This is a great opportunity. But now you got people telling him, 
to shut up, to be quiet. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Interesting. This guy cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, which is the idea that he said this over and over again. Here's a man who is desperate, wanting some help. He's crying out, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And you would think people would say, oh, man, this is great. Jesus, come and help this guy. But no, you got haters in the crowd. Now, why do you think they try to rebuke Jesus? I, mean, I wrote down a few reasons. Could it be because they look down on him as a social outcast? Like, come on, man, do you really think he has time for you? Look at you. Look at you. You think out of all these people on our way to worship, he's going to stop and give you some attention. Could it be that Jesus had more important things to do? Or could it be, man, you're inconveniencing us. You're interrupting our flow. Why don't you go over there and sit down somewhere and be quiet? see this crowd, these many people that rebuked him, what they were doing was trying to stop and hinder the movement of God in this man's life. And isn't that what some of us do? You know, it's easy to try to get in the way of God. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. We got this thing called the flesh that, in the words of a hip-hop friend of mine, the flesh and spirit is warring like dogs and fleas. This flesh doesn't want to obey God, which is why we need the Holy Spirit, which is why we need the working of God to work in our heart and our life. So we are our worst enemy. We need to stop giving the devil too much press. We stop people. We are in the way of people. We hinder people in various ways, living in sin, being negative, operating in the flesh, trying to control people's lives. And here, this man is in a situation where people are trying to stop him. But what I love about this guy, he didn't let them stop him. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. I don't care what I'm facing. The Bible says, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me, as if to say, you can try to stop me all you want to, but I'm so desperate for Jesus right now, I'll do whatever I have to do. I heard a preacher say that opportunities come and opportunities go and they come no more. This could be the only time he could physically encounter Jesus Christ and he wasn't about to let anything or anyone stop him from experiencing this miracle. You know, as I was reflecting on this particular episode and this complication, I, I laughed at myself because isn't it just like God to interrupt our daily scheduled programming? Anybody ever been there before? You had your plans, you had your agenda, and all of a sudden, boom, something happens. All of a sudden, boom, something happens. You know, being a, a care pastor at Shadow Hill Church in Las Vegas, I'm telling you, man, ministry, there's all, every day is, is an episode. Every day. Praise God for the calm, cool, collected days. But you know what's coming in church world. You know what's coming. You know, handling benevolence ministry. Somebody's in need. Somebody's got you know, to visit somebody in a hospital. And you just got various trials and situations after situations. And what I'm learning about what it means to serve God in this context means that I have to hold everything with an open hand and hold on to Jesus very tightly. Because there's interruptions. Divine interruptions. That God uses 
to get us to call ourselves out, do we really care about people? Or do we program our schedule so much where we push people to the fringes? Every great story has a four movement situation. The complication, the complication here is that these people are trying to hinder this guy. But now there's a resolution. Look at verse 49. The Bible says, and Jesus stopped. I love it. 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 This guy's desperation caused Jesus Christ to stop in his tracks. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Now, this wasn't some little cute. No, no, no. In the original language, it's, it's forceful. It's call him. And now those who are trying to hold the brother back, now they want to get spiritual. Hey, and they called him, take heart, get up, call him. Ain't that crazy? Y'all was just telling me to shut up. Now you're telling me to come to Jesus? What's going on? Are we spiritual schizophrenics up in here? They called him, take heart, get up. He is calling I love it. He, don't, he doesn't pray about it. He doesn't think about it. Look at verse 50. And throwing off his cloak. This wasn't like, let me easily take it off. No, this is, Jesus is calling. I must respond. He sprang up. Oh, that's, that's familiar. In Acts chapter 3 that we looked at the other day. And came to Jesus. Now, we know the brother's blind. There had to be a few people to help him get to Jesus. Hello? There's that implication again. Do we really care? And Jesus said to him, I love this, what do you want me to do for you? Stop there for a second. When God asks questions, he's not trying to find out more information. Man, I, I just need to know what's on your heart. No, 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 no. He, I love it. He asks questions because he wants you and I to be vulnerable enough to express our needs. Stop being super spiritual. What is it? It's something freeing about telling God our pain. It's something freeing articulating where we really desire and what we really need God to do in our life. We need to stop this cute stuff. God, I'm in this situation. I'm in this problem in this particular issue this man right now says rabbi let me recover my sight i want to see i want to see and i love this and jesus said go your way underline this your faith has made you well stop right there interesting this man came to get physically healed and he walks away, not only physically healed, but spiritually whole. You get that? When he says your faith has made you well, it's much more than physical healing. This guy now walks away healed and saved. 
The Bible says, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. I couldn't help but to think about that implication that ultimately what God is after in all of us, yes, pray for physical healing. Yes, pray for God to work a miracle in a health situation and take your medicine. Hello, somebody. But ultimately what God is after is spiritual transformation. And here this guy gets healed. He walks away whole and he followed Jesus. And I couldn't help but to sing about that song. You know that song. I have leads us to this crescendo celebration. The man's healed. And the point here of the story is there is no one too insignificant for Jesus. He matters to him. That's really the point of the story. If there's no one too insignificant, you and I matter Now, by way of application, I want to ask the question, how, how do we break free in order to see and experience Jesus? How do we break free to see and experience Jesus? I, I wrote down these four thoughts. You can, again, see them in the story, and I've already alluded to many of them. But I, I, I would suggest to you four, four, four answers to that question. How do we break free in order to see and experience Jesus? The first one is this. I must overcome. overcome. The enemy wants us to wave the flag of defeat, but God didn't call us to settle. We can overcome because Jesus Christ has overcome. So if we want to break free, take that first step of overcoming. But also, number two, how do we break free in order to see and experience Jesus? I must be intentional. I must be intentional in coming to Jesus for my release. You know, it's easy, it's easy for us in our society to look to other things as for release. A substance, a career, uh, a sin, a particular sin, or whatever it is. It's easy for us to, to drift because we all naturally drift towards these things. But I have to be intentional every day. What's that old song? Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel you. Every day. I'm one step away from crazy. Every day, I'm prone to wonder. So every day, I have to make the choice to be intentional to keep coming to Jesus for my release, whatever that is. So I must overcome. I must be intentional. How do I break free in order to see and experience Jesus? Number three, I must act immediately. All through the Bible, you see this principle of obedience. Obedience, obedience, obedience. I must act immediately prompting of the Holy Spirit, the stirring of things in your heart uh, for whatever it is, act immediately, act immediately. How do I break free in order to see and experience Jesus? Finally, 
I must move you to become more like me. That's exactly what Christ is doing. Becoming more like Jesus. This is why we need to be here. This is why we need to get under this word. This is why we need to stay connected to one another. Because as we stay connected, we should look more like Jesus and stay a genuine person. Ongoing, growing relationship with our Savior. One day a father gave his daughter a piece of paper with the world on it. In fact, he took it out of a magazine and it's a picture of the world on it. And he wanted to give his daughter daughter something to do because he had a lot of work to do around the house. And so he says, says here, he rips up this piece of paper into really small pieces and he gives it to his daughter and says, hey, put this back together like a puzzle. His daughter's like, okay, daddy, I'll do it. So he goes away, he's going about his work. About 10 minutes later, she says, dad, I'm finished. He's like, how are you finished so quick? She says, well, dad, you didn't see it, but the picture of the world had on the other side the face of Jesus. And I figured if I can get Jesus right, then my world will fall back into place. If I can get Jesus right, then my marriage can fall back into place. If I can get Jesus right, then my life will be more aligned to him. If I can get Jesus right, then a lot of this crazy, stupid chaos we're experiencing in many of our churches will fall back into place because Jesus is the focal point more than anything else. But it all comes back to putting our eyes on Jesus. And wouldn't it be a great prayer for us to pray today? Jesus, son of David, Spencer may spend some time of prayer today. And just cry out to God and say, Father, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, save me. Whatever it is. Because our world is, has fallen apart in many ways. But Jesus can put it back together. Jesus cares for us. Jesus cares for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, uh, powerful story and powerful encounter yet again of, the, of another person who was transformed by the, the workings of you. And Lord, I, I do pray that as we personalize this in our own lives, that you would help us to be desperate like this man. We live in a society that's so image-driven. We don't want people to see our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities. yet you're asking us through the pages of this, this Hebrew story, what do you want me to do with you? May we be honest with ourselves. Lord, I would like to be just like you. Help us to cry out all the more. Help us not to be held hostage by other people. Help us not to care what other people think. Because right now, at this moment, we desperately need Help us to keep our eyes on you because you care for us. And you can put our world back together when we look to you, when we look to you. May we 
be like this man followed him a long way. No turning back. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you very much. Good morning. My name is J.R., and you know, one of the about the program in Mount Hermon, which I know we all enjoy, is while we're all being ministered to right here, our kids and our grandkids, and in some cases our great-grandkids, they're all in your substations being ministered as well. Kids are, uh, the ministry for children is huge here at Mount Hermon. In fact, when my wife Lori and I arrived at Mount Hermon years ago, our three boys were ages 3, 10, and 11. Today, that's a picture just shortly after we got here. I'm in the middle, if you tell there. Um, and now they're all three grown, and they're all married. We ha even have a granddaughter, Georgia Rose Lucro, who's two years old. She's in the middle of this picture. Lori and I are on the left, and Buddy and Vicki Green, her other grandparents, are uh, on the right as you look at that. That was a picture a few weeks ago. How many grandparents do we have with us this week? Quite a few. Congratulations. Any great-grandparents? couple over here. Yeah, bless you guys as well. You know, I believe children are the dots that connect the lines between the generations. And the Bible says in the book of Psalms, behold, children are a heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And in other words, I believe, as we all know, a blessing. And whether we're parents, grandparents, or great-grandparents, we all share that blessing. And each year here at Mount Hermon, we hear so many stories of how God works uniquely in the hearts of kids of all ages here at Mount Hermon. It happens every week here at family camp, and it happens at some of our satellite facilities. One of those camps, which many of you went to yesterday down the hill, is called Redwood Camp. This is its third week of operation. One of the fun things about being open <laughs> again this summer is we're starting to get peeks of how God's at work. Redwood Camp normally has 150 kids a week. This summer, we're only running 75. And many of you know that they come in in the morning, and then they get picked up about 4.30. So it's, on, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a day camp on steroids a little bit. Over the last few years, we've seen an average of about 20 kids a week make a decision to invite Jesus into their heart right here at the camp. This week, the first, the first week, remember, half as many kids, we had 35 first decisions to invite Jesus. And last week, 75 kids, 40 made a first-time decision. And so many of these kids are local kids that have never been here. I've seen, we, we often have a lot of what I call church kids that are here, which is awesome. And we have.